Welcome back for another episode of Dig City, a Purdue volleyball podcast. I'm Daniel Gilman, the voice of the Boilermakers, along with the play caller and the head honcho, Coach Dave Shondell. Coach, we're here in October. Are the leaves starting to change up there in Indiana? Oh, it's beautiful up here in, in West Lafayette, Lafayette area. Um, they started changing maybe three weeks ago, and, and now they're really starting to kick in. So it's a great time to be up in this part of the country. And it's great to talk to you again, Daniel. It's been a long time, and um, you know, a lot of things have, have happened, and, and we feel like things are starting to really move in the right direction uh, in regards to college athletics and the sport of volleyball in particular. So you know, it's an exciting time. We've been put on a delay, but we, we certainly see light at the end of the tunnel. And we're so gracious to all of you volleyball fans out there holding with Purdue, holding with the Big Ten, and maybe just enjoying a little bit of the volleyball that is going on here in the fall. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the episode. But first, just life at Purdue, Coach. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to be on campus through all of summer. But what are things like? I know football is starting to uh, heat up a little bit with the announcement of the Big Ten coming back. But from a Dave Shondell perspective, has the campus been, you know, any sort of remblance of normalcy? Well, first of all, we really miss your presence here, Daniel. Huh. Uh, not having you here on campus certainly uh, you know, changes the dynamics quite a bit around uh, volleyball, but we look forward to your return. Uh, that, that is for sure. But uh, campus is, is really interesting because I didn't know what to expect. Um, and so one of the first days of school, I decided I was going to take a walk, and, and I wasn't sure if I took took a walk, did the mask have to be on, did, was the mask off, if I'm just going out and getting exercise, and as I started on my journey, there was nobody not wearing a mask. I mean, they, they might be walking by themselves, they might be with a friend, uh, they could be 50 feet away from somebody, but the discipline of the students, and the students in particular, uh, not to mention the faculty and staff, has been remarkable uh, in their desire to make this work at Purdue. And, and to, this, to this day, it, it has worked. And you know, Mitch put together a plan, Mitch, President Mitch Daniels put together a, a comprehensive plan and the students have made it work. And uh, you know, things are moving really, really smoothly here. But it's, it's right now, this time of year, I, I'm not sure when the last time we had a bad day. The sun feels like it's shined every day on this campus. And it's so hard to believe that there's the craziness that's going on in the world. And every day the weather is, is, is remarkable. So, but the, the students are doing a great job. And yeah, football is starting. I talked to Coach Brahma a couple nights ago after his practice. He's ready to start. He'd like to start today if, if he could. And uh, Coach Painters and uh, Coach uh, Versip have got their basketball teams getting after it. Their official start date for practice is, I think, next week. But they've been practicing pretty uh, strong here lately, but uh, both teams expect to be good, and I expect football also to be be really good. With of course, with the good news of Rondell returning, certainly didn't hamper anything for Purdue football. And it's been clear from the push by the student athletes of Purdue, the faculty, everybody, how important it is that if the masks are worn, then the sports will be played. And obviously, the uh, the students and the citizens over there in West Lafayette are adhering to those rules. We've seen colleges where people have not adhered to the rules. Student sections have been kicked out of football games. Schools have had to postpone volleyball matches all around the conference, conferences, I should say. And so it's great to see, you know, progress being made in an area like West Lafayette, like Lafayette, that just wants 
volleyball back, just wants football back. And so as we talk about the campus, let's talk specifically about the team. Coach, what, at least to the, the common fan, what have you guys been allowed to do and what have you guys done, you know, from the months of August and September into October? Well, we started our season as if we were going to play. You know, we started practicing August, I think, 8th or 9th with the idea we were going to be playing in, in late August. Uh, so we probably got maybe six or seven days of practice before Commissioner Warren gave us the news that we would not play in the fall. And we practiced one more day before we decided to let our kids go home because there was going to be a long time once they got back before they were going to be allowed to go back home again. That's one of the, the protocols here is that everybody stays through Thanksgiving. So since school had not started, we sent our kids home. They got about a week to spend with their family if they decided to do that. And since they've been back, we've been going eight hours a week, which means four hours in the gym, four hours in the weight room for a while. And then about a week and a half ago, we started going to the regular 20 hour a week, which is the max that you're ever allowed to, to have. And again, that means as many as 16 hours in, in the gym and four hours in the weight room. We've not been using that much time. We try to be smart, Daniel, that we did not get the preseason conditioning that we normally get in the summertime because we were not allowed to be here. And there are a lot of quarantines going on during that time. So we're behind the curve, which is why it's a great thing that we're not starting on a regular time for volleyball. It just, it just would not have worked. So, uh, but right now we're, we're going four days a week, about two hours and 45 minutes in the gym. Um, but we're pacing ourselves a little bit, not trying to create a lot of soft tissue injuries or overuse injuries at this point in time. And gradually we'll pick up that pace as we move forward. But we're trying to keep the athletes' uh, health, uh, both physical and emotional, uh, as the number one priority right now. And from a strength perspective, we've got a new face, a couple of new faces, Coach, if you want to introduce some of the new uh, Boilermakers added to the faculty of the team. Well, four freshmen, one that was here last spring in Savannah Chacon, who's a defensive specialist out of uh, the northern part of the state, a really, really good uh, ball control player, tough, uh, hard-nosed competitor, and uh, you know she's going to do a great job for us uh, and already is doing that. Then we have three long, athletic, uh, middle-slash-right-side type players. Uh, first of all, from uh, Northwood High School up in northern Indiana is Molly Brown. And Molly is six foot one and probably has been the most pleasant surprise in camp right now. We, we knew that she was athletic and we knew she was disciplined and very, very coachable, but she's gone beyond what our expectations were. Uh, six foot one, but her wingspan is six foot six and a half. So that's really long. And she is not doing a nice job and, and runs, gets up quick in the middle and gets her hands on the ball a lot while blocking. So she's, she's ahead of where we thought she would be. Lourdes Myers out of Alliance, Ohio, uh, just a real physical specimen, about six, two and a half, also with really long arms. She's been out a lot this fall with um, a lower leg injury, and uh, it's been hard not to have her out there on the court because we know what she's going to be capable of doing. It's um, I'm not sure how to describe it, but it's when you've got something unbelievable and, and yet you can't really roll it out. You got the, maybe you got a Rolls Royce in your, in your garage, but you can't use it, okay, because of whatever reason. That's kind of how we feel a little bit with Lourdes. But she is hitting the ball off the box and she's staying active in practice, but cannot do any jumping. So that, that makes it tough. 
Then our final freshman is Taylor Trammell, who I believe is going to be one of the premier blockers in our league uh, at some point in time. I don't expect that to happen overnight, but she has some great natural blocking tendencies. She's uh, almost six foot two, really long arms, big hands, all of the, uh, the tools you'd like to have for a blocker. Uh, offensively, she can be really, really good. She's got to get off the floor quicker. She's a little slow getting in on running the quick offense that we like to run. So we're working really hard with her on that. She's out of Lexington, Kentucky. But our four freshmen are getting along great. And, uh, you know, they were ranked 19th or 20th, I think, in the uh, recruiting uh, rankings. And I think that's a slap in the face of, of the four kids that we've got there. They're far superior to that. And I think down the road, each one of them is going to, to make a big uh, um, in, what's the word I'm looking for? A big uh, impact, impact on yep. our program. Yeah. Yep. Nothing like a chip on the shoulder too. There's never a downside to being ranked lower than, than what the coach wants, but helping them get into shape and helping them build into their bodies is a new strength coach as well. Correct. Aaron Brocka. How has you been? Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Broke is how it's Broke. Okay. Okay. That's what I get for not being on campus. Yeah. It's okay with Broke. And, um, she is, uh, she's a rock star, to be honest with you. And we've, we've had really good strength coaches. But I think what we have here is somebody that is a, a, a natural motivator uh, of athletes and uh, really has a way of uh, being a friend, but also being somebody that demands the most. She demands the most out of our players and uh, just, just, just a great addition to our program. We're super excited about her. Yeah, there was a really... Uh interesting motivational I guess sparked article on PurdueSports.com about the new edition of Aaron Broke it's okay with Broke that's a good one I like that a lot easy yeah. to remember for Purdue fans hopefully for the next few years and so coach you talk about your team you talk about the newcomers what about some of the returning players the veterans how has Haley Bush looked how has Grace Cleveland looked and of course Caitlin Newton is you know primed for what could be a uh a really showcase of a season, I would assume. Well, we have a lot of players returning from our rotation a year ago, as, as you know. Um, and we'll start with Caitlin Newton, who is a physical specimen and hits the ball uh, probably as hard as anybody in our league. Um, she's had a lot of really good nights so far in practice. Occasionally she'll have an off night and we're trying to eliminate those. It's something we've talked about is uh, if she wants to be an all Big Ten player, she wants to make an All-American high-level All-America team, um, she's going to have to be good every night. And uh, like she was the last third of the season, she was really good the last third of the season for us. And uh, she's, her leadership skills are, are there. She's taking charge of the team the way that, that, that she sees fit. So I'm excited about her. Her, her backcourt play is getting a little bit better. That's going to be in, important. Defensively, you're only as good as, uh, as you know, your weakest link. And, and we don't want to have one of those on the floor. So we need her to be become uh, a really good defensive player in the backcourt because that's going to be our strength. Our blocking and backcourt defense and overall ball control is really going to be a strength of this team. Grace Cleveland um, got a lot of hype last year. She's uh, a junior now, six foot three out of uh, normal Illinois. And, and Grace is a tremendous volleyball player. She can play any position. Uh, we're, right now we're working her in two spots, the middle and the right side. Uh, depending on how well other players come along, will dictate whether she plays in the middle or we can keep her on the right side. Uh, but she's she's had some great matches, uh, great practices. I mean, early on, 
when she was in the middle, she was trying to get comfortable back in the middle. She's very comfortable there now. She gets up as quick as any middle hitter in the Big Ten and gets on the ball quick. Great rapport with Bush, our setter. So I'm, I'm happy with her. Then, then, of course, Haley Bush is back for her third year as a starting setter in our program. And one of the things we're doing is trying to create a tempo that will be difficult for uh, defenses to stop. And when you've got a, a great ball control team and you've got a veteran setter and some returning attackers, uh, you have the flexibility to try to maybe speed up your offense and do some things that you haven't done for a couple of years. And that's something we're trying to do. And, and I, I just love the way Bush plays. You know, she doesn't say a lot, but she just competes her tail off and, uh, and demands the most from her teammates. And she's been doing a great job with that. Uh, two tremendous backcourt players returned from a year ago, and that's Marissa Horning and Jenna Otek. And right now they're duking it out for a libero spot. Uh, both uh, are very, very capable of playing at a high-level libero in the Big Ten. And so it's nice to have both of them because one will play the libero and then the other will play probably a middle back position. Uh, but both of those guys are doing, doing a great job. They both serve tough. They're passing serve really, really well. And, uh, and competing for that position, which is nice to see. But then you've also got in the backcourt some people you saw a year ago, which is Skimmerhorn, um, who is much improved, uh, passing the ball really, really well, and playing with a lot more composure and confidence on the floor. And then somebody who's become our maybe our best defensive player is uh, um, Terwilliger, Emma, Emma Terwilliger. Uh, she's just been remarkable playing defense and needs to improve her, her, her serve-receive. Uh, to really be able to compete for one of those key spots. But uh, she's, she's been really improved. I'll just get round out the backcourt. We've already talked about Chacon, but another really improved player is Ava uh, Torrance, who is uh, a sophomore, did not play much. Our fans didn't see much of her last year, but man, is she, is she improved. She's a, a different player this year, much stronger and doing a great job. And JL Johnson is another player that played a lot last year. And, and uh, JL is is strong and physical, getting off the floor fast, really competing. I'm thrilled with her. And then you got that three-headed hydra, if you want me to go into that, the left-side hitters that you love to talk about. And uh, right now, we're playing uh, Maddie Cook a lot on the right pin, uh, where she feels really comfortable. And she's uh, uh, hits the ball a ton. Uh, Mike Newton has to continue to eliminate errors. They, when you hit the ball hard and you have a big, powerful approach and a big arm swing, uh, sometimes that's going to create more error opportunities, more miscues. But she's working on that and puts up a real physical block. Maddie Chin, another player that's really, really took off during the offseason. Chin to win is just crushing the ball right now. It's gotten a lot quicker in her approach and playing with a lot of confidence. And, of course, uh, the gal that started most of the time in that L2 position last year was uh, Emma Ellis. And Ellis continues to get better at a steady pace. And, and doing a tremendous job. But I think I've covered about everybody except uh, our, 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 our setter, and that is Meg Renner. And Meg was uh, a red shirt a year ago, and then during the spring she, she tore, uh, tore her knee. Uh, and so she's just now getting back to where she's practicing about every other day. But uh, another real physical specimen, a six-foot-one-inch setter that can block and do some things uh, at a high level. So if I forgot somebody, boy, I really apologize. But uh, that's going through it pretty quick. No, it's good to hear that, that Megan is back and, you know, physically working out and exercising. And guys, if you guys, if you can't tell listening at home, coach is very excited for the season. It gets me amped up and I've gotten a lot of questions. I'm sure you've gotten some questions about how everything is going to work and, and 
what the situation is going to be and how, if there's people playing right now, how can they do an NCAA tournament? And let's get into that a little bit. So we'll talk about the proposed schedule. We'll talk about the proposed plan from the NCAA. And as far as I know, you're going to, you know, educate me and everyone else. The start date is January 22nd for NCAA volleyball. And I guess that's just the teams that aren't playing in the fall, correct? Well, not exactly. Um, that's the spring starting date. But the teams that are playing in the fall are also going to play matches in the spring. I don't know when what their schedule uh, shows for them in the spring, but they're not just going to play in the fall and put the brakes on and wait for the NCAA tournament. They're playing some matches right now. I know that the Big 12 is going to play, I think, 16 matches in the fall. And then they still have 12 dates that they can use during the springtime. Uh, okay. The SEC, who hasn't started yet, starts this weekend. They're only going to play about eight or ten matches in the fall, and then they'll have more than that that they can use in the springtime. And then like the ACC, ACC is pretty similar uh, to that. But the ACC and the Big Twelve have started, as has a smaller conference down south. And then the SEC is going to start uh, this weekend with volleyball. But as you mentioned. Our Big Ten coaches, we met yesterday and had a really productive meeting uh, with all 14 head coaches and the SWA from Ohio State, who represents um, our, our group to the uh, administration, and then also some of the Big Ten uh, big shots were on that call. And uh, John Cook, uh, we had a lot of really good ideas and proposals, but John Cook, I think, is responsible for coming up with uh, a plan that we all agreed on, and the Big Ten officials also liked it quite a bit because it, it, it cuts down costs significantly, which is a big factor as athletic departments right now are struggling big time to, to find the funds to, to continue. And it also, is, it's a, a, a healthy way to go about doing things versus what we've been doing in the past. And the, and the schedule will look like this. Everybody will play um, 22 dates, but instead of the regular schedule where you might go to uh, Penn State and play them on Friday and then charter to Rutgers and play them on Saturday and come back home, you're just going to play the same team at the same site twice. So we would go to Penn State and play them Friday. We'd turn around and play them on Saturday and then come home. And then maybe the next weekend, Michigan would come to Purdue and play us twice. And the next weekend, maybe uh, Nebraska would come here and play twice. And then the next weekend, we might go to Wisconsin and play them twice. So what I like about that schedule is you're not going to different facilities and playing where possibility of infection is possible. You're not going to different hotels uh, where who knows who's, how well they're cleaning those particular hotels and things like that. And then if there is an infection, instead of having four teams, for example, if we go play Penn State on a Friday, Indiana's going to play at Rutgers, and then we're going to flip-flop. So there's four teams that – potentially could catch an infection if you were all playing that schedule. But by doing it this way, you know, if somebody's infected, there's just two teams. So there's a, a lot of really good reasons for that. Mostly I think that it, it cuts costs down significantly, which is what our administrators are looking for. Uh, still, you're getting 22 matches. There's two teams you're not going to play in the, in the league. You're playing 11 teams twice. And so our um, Big Ten scheduler has uh, – promised us that he can make it competitively balanced so that the two teams you're not playing uh, won't be the two weakest teams in the league or, or they won't be the two best teams in the league. There'll, there'll be some balance 
to that. And uh, so we look forward to that kind of a formula. So I, I think we've got a good plan. Our administration is all for it 100%. And uh, we, hope, we hope that somewhere around January 22nd, which is, as you mentioned, when the, uh, the NCAA says that the Big Ten, or the, the NCAA spring season will begin, we'll be able to start, go for 11 weeks, and then have about a week off before NCAA tournament play will begin. And that will only be a 48-team event versus a 64-team. So making an at-large appearance in the NCAA tournament just got twice as difficult um, for anybody in the country because there's going to be uh, only half as many at-large teams selected. Coach, I like that a lot. And I'd love to hear what all the fans think. You can go ahead and tweet us, Dave Shondell, at Daniel Gilman, at Purdue VB, because to me, that turns it into a little bit more like baseball, right? Where you get into a series with every team, that mm -hmm. second match of the series, you can use adjustments from the first match. Kind of reminds me of when we played Michigan back-to-back -back last season. Now, obviously, right. there's, there's a little downside to that last year when you don't have that against every team. But now when there's an even playing field and everyone plays each other twice, what kind of strategy do you foresee getting thrown in there where there is familiarity but then you really can use adjustments from the night before to then play again the next day. Yeah, what I really like about it, Daniel, is one of the hardest things for teams to do is to prepare for two Big Ten teams on the same weekend. So if we were going to play Minnesota on a Friday, we'd have Wisconsin on a Saturday. Two teams ranked in the top 10 or 15 year after year, and you have to be ready to play both of them. So uh, as a coach and as a team, you're watching so much tape, and, and it's just a stressful situation. And, and I like the opportunity to try this to see if we can just spend all week preparing for one team and then play them and then turn around and make the adjustments but not reinvent the wheel to play somebody else, but just make some adjustments for that team based on what happened the night before. I think that takes a load off of the players and also off the coaches. And one of the biggest concerns our uh, Big Ten coaches have had in the past is the compression and just the stress and the duress that is put on our players playing this level of competition, um, you know, for, for 10 straight weeks. Now we've eliminated the non-conference. We haven't mentioned that, but there'll be no non-conference play. So you're not dealing with what's happening with these schools non-conference. Are they following the same protocol? Are they testing every day? What are they doing? What's their facility going to look like if you go and play at their place? So now we're going to be safer that way. We got 11 straight weeks. We get a week off in between the end of our season and the start of the NCAA tournament. And every one of our uh, Big Ten coaches was very, very happy with that particular uh, schedule. And I just hope that our administrations will put a stamp of approval on it so we can start uh, making hotel arrangements and get a schedule out here as fast as possible. And not to mention all the uh, Big Ten broadcasters listening. Now we only have to prep for one team as opposed to two. So that's obviously, yeah, you know. I, I, think, I think this year it's worth a shot. And uh, we'll see how it goes. It's kind of like, uh, you know, one of the coaches on the call asked about, do we want to propose playing spring every year? Because there's some real advantages to not playing in the fall. Uh, the disadvantages in the fall is you don't have enough time to train your team. They show up and, and in two and a half weeks, You've got to go play somebody. That's not enough time. And then plus you're competing with football all the time for exposure uh, on TV, which is why, as you know, softball, women's softball gets incredible exposure 
because there's nothing else going on at that, at that time. And so we've had some coaches that have always promoted moving the sport. And so we're going to wait and see how this goes first before we determine if that's going to be something that we want to do or if, he, if it's even a possibility. The same thing with the schedule, playing the same team twice. Are we going to like that when it's all over or are we not going to like it? And, uh, you know, we, we won't know until we try it. And then one last piece of that puzzle, you mentioned the, you know, elimination of 16 at-large teams from the NCAA tournament. You also have to consider the same with college football this year. Not playing non-conference teams kind of takes away that comparison that, you know, a Pac-12 bubble team against a Big Ten bubble team, and they've only played their own conference. How do you think that might factor into the committee's decision? Well, the RPI is out the window because you can't compare, you know, conference to conference. Uh, I mean, you can, and I think that favors us. They have to, they have uh, to compare it. I think they're going to go back and they're going to look at the history. How, how many teams consistently from the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big 12 and every conference down the line have gotten into the NCAA tournament? And uh, if, if you consistently have had eight teams, five of which would go to the Sweet 16, you got a pretty good chance of getting more teams than anybody else in the, in the tournament. And so – uh, we know our hands were full and there'll be less. You know, I, I think traditionally we've had, I think last year we may have only had seven because uh, Ohio State didn't get over 500 last year and they couldn't get in. But consistently eight or nine teams from the Big Ten. We won't have eight or nine teams, but I like to think we can get six or seven uh, from the Big Ten because the league is just going to be dynamite next year. And I think there'll be at least seven teams worthy in the top 48. So let's change subjects for a little bit here, coach, and talk about the volleyball that is happening. You know, there's still high level, great teams on national television playing some volleyball here in the fall. Texas is ranked one, Baylor two. You got a couple SEC teams, three and four, and then Syracuse and Notre Dame, five, six. What have you liked and what teams have you have really stood out to you in the volleyball that you have had time to watch? And that new poll will come out today. Unlike in the regular season, the poll comes out on Monday. Uh, that does not reflect what has happened this, this past weekend where Notre Dame uh, beat Syracuse twice. Um, so uh, what I, I've watched a lot of volleyball. Uh, the benefit to these teams that are playing this fall, a lot of them are getting on TV because TV is looking for sports to put on there. And uh, so there's a lot of volleyball um, on TV at this point in time. But Texas – like always, is just physical as all get out. Uh, I've watched them play, I think, three matches, uh, a couple against um, uh, Kansas and then one uh, last week. I'm trying to think who they played last week. It really doesn't matter that much. But, uh, oh, they played, they did, they played Kansas. Uh, they played Kansas twice, and uh, I, I can't remember who it was. But uh, they've got a lot of players back, and, and there won't be probably many teams as physically – uh, gifted as they are, size, strength, power. Uh, so, so they're legitimate, and they should be the number one team. It's hard to say where Florida and Kentucky is because they have not played yet. I mean, I think that people are anticipating that they're going to be really good again. Uh, a couple of teams that I do like, Kansas is better than they were a year ago. Uh, they got some transfers, and they're young in some spots. I uh, got a great freshman right out of the Kansas City area. Uh, but I like, I like the improvement that uh, they've made at, at Kansas. And Notre Dame, a team that we saw a year ago, uh, no surprise. They're playing really, really well. They beat Louisville in the one match they played uh, at Louisville. And then they, uh, they punched uh, Syracuse's ticket after Syracuse swept Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh, a team that was ranked one or two all last season, opened their season at Syracuse and got punched in the mouth twice. So um, 
that probably a good wake up call for that squad. And, and, and Syracuse is better than they've been probably forever. This is probably the best team Syracuse has ever had. Former uh, Louisville coach uh, Leonard is uh, one of my favorite coaches, and he's got it going right now at Syracuse, although they did get beat by Notre Dame twice after beating you know, Pitt twice. But they're, they're legitimate, so they'll, they'll be pretty good. But it's been fun to watch and get a chance to see what, what some teams are doing and why they're successful and maybe why they're not. I've watched a couple of teams whose ball control was really bad. Um, but uh, that's the name of the game. And if you can't handle the ball, you're going to have a hard time competing in any, any league in Division One level. And so the, I guess a misconception might be the, all of these games are almost a bit of practice, right? Are they not, they're not going to have conference tournaments here in the fall. You know, the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, it's kind of all to prepare for the, the spring season, correct? No, no. These, these matches, I mean, it's, it's up to the eye of the beholder, I guess. And, and that's, we're all talking about the NCAA committee. But these matches that, take, that the SEC, for example, We'll start this week, and what, let's use the Big 12. We've played four; most have played four matches. Those are all counting towards their conference championship. Those are all counting, you know, towards where they're going to stand in that conference. Which, at the end of the day, I think is what this commit the committee will look at. They're not going to take a team that finishes seventh in the Big 12 and put them over a team that finished fourth because they lost most of their matches in the first part of the season. I think I think they all count. If I was coaching in the Big 12, I would definitely be playing to win. It wouldn't be a play day. But there's no conference tournaments in the fall, as far as I don't. Know. I thought I had read that there might be one in the ACC, but I, I don't know. I'm, we're just trying to get our, our situation straightened out in the, in the Big Ten. Yep. And so as we uh, as we wrap up this episode, fifth set with Shondell time. Let's go around some uh, some familiar faces here because there's there's a new league in America. It's called Athletes Unlimited, and they've had volleyball softball i believe they're doing a couple other sports as well lacrosse gymnastics maybe some wrinklings of and it's it's a great opportunity for a lot of professional sports in women's you know the area that women want to play in america and so we've got val nickel and sheridan atkinson playing in this league in america in nashville and that starts i believe next week or I don't know when this is going to be airing. A little, airing, little but further soon. down the road, a little further down the road than that, because um, Val is still right here. Val's our volunteer coach um, at Purdue right now. Val Nickel, who's been in playing in in Europe for the last four or five years and has had a great career, just kind of got tired of being away from America and her family, and so she looked at this opportunity to play in Nashville. And it's a fairly short season in Nashville. I'm going to guess it's maybe two and a half, three months long. Uh, I may be off a couple of weeks on that, but uh, she's going to set on a team down there. And it's a unique concept. They don't keep the same team. Yep, I look um, at it now, time. February, February 21st. I mean, yeah. February 2021 is when it starts. And, and what ahead. they'll do is after each, after each match, um, each week, uh, there'll be another, another draft of some kind. They could be on a different team trying to create some balance in what's going on down there. And, of course, Sheridan – who had played originally uh, over in uh, Korea and then uh, finished in Turkey last year. Uh, she also is kind of a homebody. And for right now, she, she thought the idea of playing here in America would be kind of neat. Um, and so uh, she'll be one of the elite players uh, in that league, no doubt about it. And uh, after watching Val compete for us in, in practices, playing against our people, she's going to be pretty doggone good in that league too. So, uh, I'm excited to see how that works, and I'm hoping that it will go. There's some big money people that are involved right now, 
And it's, it's unique because they're playing it in Nashville. Every match will be played in Nashville. And I'm just hoping that uh, that fast growing populist community uh, with a lot of money will get out and support uh, women's volleyball and, and make that uh, not the, only the first year for that in the last year, but uh, hopefully it will be a successful venture. Yep, it looks like the founding members, Jordan Larson and Molly McCage. And so I watched a little bit of AU softball and how it works is a bit of like a fantasy league where you draft teams. It's an individual point scoring basis where if you get stats, you get points based off of those stats and then your team wins and you get a ton more points. So there is a drive to win the match, but also to kind of, you know, represent yeah. for your own personal, I guess, growth. And so that's what softball was like. So you got two Boilermakers in America. Catino is out in Brazil. Danielle, I should say. And then a couple more. Blake is in Germany, correct? Yep. As is Ashley Evans. Matter of fact, Evans and Moeller uh, paired off against each other um, uh, a couple nights ago. But uh, Blake's first year, you know, she signed a nice contract to go play in Germany. Um, Ashley Evans had been a couple of different places, but this was a move up for her. It's hard for American setters uh, to get on some of the top spots over there because they like to bring the, the more physical, bigger athletes from America. And you can only, in most of these leagues, can only have two Americans or two foreigners on a team. And that makes it kind of tough. But I'm happy that those two guys are in, in good places and they seem to be enjoying uh, their experience. Danielle is thrilled to be in Brazil. She had been in, uh, I think she was in Italy the past couple of seasons and had good experiences, but man, she is flourishing right now in Brazil. And then Annie is back on the same team that won the championship in Japan uh, a year ago. And of course, Annie is also, uh, as some of other people are also training with USA, but um, Annie Drews is scheduled to be a starter um, for the, the Olympic team when they do have the Olympics this year. And uh, so we're excited about that because she would be our first Purdue women's volleyball player and the first native of Indiana uh, to play uh, women's volleyball in the Olympics. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. I believe the Olympics just got moved back almost exactly a year. So it should be about a July, late July start time. So that's something that I am very much anticipating as I'm sure all you know, sports fans as a whole are looking forward to but so how has, you know, last couple questions here. I didn't get to talk too much about Val as a volunteer assistant. How has she been able to help improve some of the youngsters on the squad? Uh, she's doing a really nice job, Daniel. And, um, you know, Val was pretty much a four-year starter for us in, in three different positions. She played left side as a freshman. She played uh, opposite as a uh, sophomore and then set uh, her final two campaigns at, at Purdue. So she's got expertise in a lot of areas. And we have her working a lot with our setters, but she is also a, a tremendous blocker, one of the best blockers we've ever had. Val, even today, touches about 10-6. Um, not that she's an old woman or anything, but she's actually probably in the prime of her life. But she was a little surprised when she got jump tested the other day and, and uh, was up that high. But she's a great blocker. And I, I think she's really coming into her own as a coach. That's what she wants to do. That's why one other reason why she gave up playing over in Europe to come back here and spend some time with us and then also uh, try to make one of these USA uh, pro teams, which she did. Uh, so she's got a great situation, and, and we're just trying to help her uh, on her course of uh, being, a, being a great coach. But she's doing a really nice job. Our players like her. But the other advantage we have is that your volunteer coach can play. And with Renner coming back from an injury, 
uh, we knew we needed to have another set of hands in the gym and to have an All-America setter come in and, and uh, run your second unit, whether she's setting or whether she's hitting or whatever it might be, it's been a, been a real benefit for us. And so she's bringing a lot of positive things to the table. Fantastic. Coach, it's always great to catch up with you. I look forward to doing it again. And I'm sure all the Purdue fans listening are just filled with anticipation for the start of this season. But nonetheless, just hearing some updates and some news has to get some goosebumps arising among volleyball fans around the Big Ten. Well, we feel for our fans and, and certainly appreciate them and know that uh, at this point in time, we don't know what uh, the result will be. Will they let fans come in by the time it gets into mid-January? Mid I am hoping that with the efforts of football and men's and women's basketball, that a lot of the details and some of the kinks will be worked out so that by the time volleyball starts, we might be able to get you know half of a gym or 25% of a gym full because I know that our players will enjoy playing in front of our Boilermaker fans. All right, Coach. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Great show, Daniel. Absolutely. I'm Daniel Gilman. He's Coach Dave Shondell. This is Dig City, a Purdue Volleyball Podcast.